Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Just over one week ago, we had Nigel Farage on as a guest on this station who told us about a shocking discovery he'd made regarding the housing of illegal migrants by big global companies operating with government funding and accessing billions of pounds of taxpayers' money via public service contracts. Today, the scandal of the illegal migration racket is top of the news agenda. Front page of the Daily Mail, front page of the Daily Telegraph, and even The Guardian this morning has got it on their front page, actually admitting that it's all happening. Live footage of people arriving on these shores in dinghies and even kayaks is being broadcast by the BBC, by Sky and ITV. We have, ladies and gentlemen, clearly set the news agenda for the past seven days. I'd like to thank all of you uh, for taking part uh, in calling into the show to talk about it. I'd like to thank everyone who's worked on the story for us. I'd like to thank Nigel Farage as well for bringing it to the attention uh, of the public. And now, finally, Pretty Patel it may be doing something about it. It's the dominant story and it will remain there until the Home Secretary does, in fact, do what she says. Yesterday, as the numbers proved, twice as many people have been arriving on these shores already in 2020 than the whole of last year. Pretty Patel says she's ready to bring in the Navy. Well, let's see uh, whether you've got the cojones to do that because let's bring in the Navy. Let's do it. Let's get these people to stop coming because the only way to stop people coming is to make it clear that if you do come, you won't be able to stay. As long as they keep telling people they can come here and stay and then hang around, being put up in a hotel, being taken to football grounds to be given a tour, that is never going to stop them coming. Our proper Common Select Committee is also now demanding answers about why we as a nation are propping up gangsters, people smugglers and organised crime in the name of humanitarian aid. It is nothing less than a disgrace and it needs to stop now. Not because we are in any way racist in this country, not because we are in any way unwelcoming, but because it's simply illegal. And why else and why in other any other area of the world would you expect to encourage people to take part in organised criminal activity? 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be asking Henry Hill from Conservative Home just how dangerous this scandal is for Boris Johnson and his government. And we'll be heading north of the border as Chancellor Rishi Sunak makes his first official trip to Scotland. Plus, we'll be finding out the latest news on the travel front as it looks more and more likely that France could join Spain and Portugal on the quarantine naughty list. And mind you, with the weather being as good as it is here, there isn't any point in going anywhere, is there? We'll check in on the roads today because it's the hottest day of the year and we're going to be frying an egg 
on the terrace here at News UK because, quite frankly, uh, it is hotter than hell out there. Uh, and if you're in an air-conditioned car, you'll be very fortunate. If you're not, just try and stay as cool as you can. 0344 499 1000. It's Friday, of course, so it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards with Martin Malagon. Do not miss a second of it. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. Is it any wonder with the stories that we cover that nobody else does? But now they do. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the fastest growing radio station on the planet and to the Independent Republican Mike Graham, which has been agenda setting for a long time, but only lately have everybody started noticing it. Let's talk to Henry Hill, who's a social assistant editor, I should say, at Conservative Home, because this is a big scandal for the Tory party, a big scandal for Boris Johnson, a big scandal for Priti Patel, uh, and they need to get to grips with it, is what I'm saying. Henry, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Now, um, this, I wouldn't have thought, would be the lead story on the front page of the Daily Mail and the Telegraph and even the Guardian this morning. But this migrant story really has sort of caught legs, if you like, as we say in the business, since we uh, had Nigel Farage on this station a week ago Thursday. And everybody's now talking about it. And everybody seems to be pointing a finger at the Home Secretary saying, what are you going to do? Yeah, precisely. I think, you know, one of the advantages for the government of the Brexit vote was that for a few years it did, you can, you can see the evidence, it did take some of the heat out of the immigration issue. You know, the public thought, right, great, we've taken back control, we're mm. not going to have any more sort of unlimited freedom of movement, we can bring in a sensible, fair, proportionate immigration regime. But of course, there's no point setting up this kind of points-based regime if you're going to let it be undermined with this kind of free-for-all of illegal channel crossings. Right. And it is entirely right that the public is finally looking at this and the government is considering taking action because it's basically a like micro version if you like of the same problem that europe has with mediterranean crossings which is yes it's nice and to to get to send boats out to rescue people to bring them over into europe but if you keep doing that and you then don't repatriate them all you do is you create this huge sense of hope that getting on a boat will get you across and as you say that puts more and more people into the hands of the criminal operations that run these very dangerous and inhumanitarian uh, people smuggling operations. Yes, exactly right. Because, I mean, already this morning we're watching, and I'm very pleased to see that the uh, the BBC and ITV and Sky are actually picking up on this, but there's more than 100 people who have already arrived today because the weather's relatively calm, you know, the seas are relatively calm, and uh, there's 11 separate incidents already just today. Absolutely. I think the first thing we need to be doing is we need to be cooperating better with France in order to stop these things going out. You know, if these, more of these things were stopped by the French Coast Guard, then we wouldn't have to deal with them. So we, there is a history of, of the UK striking bilateral deals with France to deal with cross-channel migration. I think we need to go, but we, need to, we definitely need to step that up. Of course, anybody who's coming from France is not a refugee because they're in France. Right. You know, they're, they're not sailing here from Syria or anywhere else. And then we do, at our end, need to get much tougher about intercepting, you know, making, we don't want people drowning in the channel. It's absolutely right that we don't let people, that we don't let people die, but making sure that we have plans in place to turn boats around if possible. And if people do need to be taken on board in dangerous situations, we're making sure that they end up back in France. So we send a clear message, getting on a boat outside the proper channels is not going to get you into the United Kingdom. No, exactly right. Because the difficulty is, I mean, you can't really blame the individuals, although the Guardian today seems to be saying that they uh, themselves are being put under pressure and sometimes threatened by the gangsters and the gang masters who are making them go on these boats and basically, you know, threatening to break their fingers and pull their nails out if they don't get on because they're all making money. At the same time, on this side of the, uh, of the, of the channel, you've got companies like Serco making an absolute fortune from the government by housing these people. Absolutely not. I, I, it's very important, as you say, that we don't blame these, these individual uh, people trying to do it. You know, they're only doing it because they're in desperate circumstances. Many of them, I think, 
most British people would consider fair applicants for a place in the UK through the legal channels. But, it, yeah, but we need to maintain that they do it the proper way, because as you say, as long as these illegal routes are allowed to continue, then it will profit not just, you know, profiteering companies exploiting how terrible the government is in negotiating contracts, but these awful, you know, continent-wide networks of criminal gangs. And that's why it's absolutely imperative that we shut these down, because as you say, people are being coerced at every level. You know, they're being ripped off at their home country. They're then being mistreated on the journey, and then they're being threatened and forced into a life-threatening situation, or all to profit uh, organized crime. And that money then gets um, funneled back into other organized crime or even terrorist operations. So it's, it's just, it has to stop. Well, that's the point. But I mean, as well as saying that they, they, some of these people may be in desperate straits, but not a lot of them are actually in desperate straits. They're not fleeing violence. They're not fleeing. Uh, and the only violence they're fleeing possibly is at the hands of the, of the actual human traffickers, you know, because they are coming from Western Europe. They're not coming uh, from war-torn parts of Africa. They may have originated there, but they haven't actually been there for quite some time. And I think we have to start making that distinction in the same way that, you know, Serco keeps saying to me, oh, we do not house illegal migrants, we house asylum seekers. Well, they're only asylum seekers after they've entered the country illegally, surely. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to note that if somebody is in uh, the, the clutches of a people smuggling operation, it's a, bit, it's, it's a bit like modern slavery, right? They are in a dangerous situation, and it's right that we recognise that. We can't just say that, oh, well, because you're in France, ipso facto, you're not at risk. If you're in the hands of a people smuggling operation, you've described some of the horrifying things these people do. It is right that we step in to make sure that those people get out. Of course, it doesn't then follow that we give them asylum in the United Kingdom because they should get asylum in France, which is where they are. But I think it's important that we recognize that a lot of these people, you know, yes, they are in France, and so they're not in immediate danger of persecution by the state. But if they're being hidden in the back of a lorry or a warehouse by, by people smugglers, they are in danger. And it is right that we recognize that. Yeah, no, I think absolutely right. Now, Rishi Sunak, just to change tack slightly off to Scotland, uh, where apparently he's the most popular conservative uh, of all conservatives, which is hardly surprising, really. Um, why is he going there? What is he hoping to achieve? Well, oh, you know, over the, the there's been a real sort of difficulty over the course of the pandemic, which is that whilst it has demonstrated beyond any doubt the utility, the vast utility of, you know, the United Kingdom, having the Bank of England able to underwrite this vast programme of economic uh, intervention, it has nonetheless boosted quite substantially the Scottish National Party. Now, you know, you, you can say that's because they've been fiddling with statistics, which they have, mm. but nonetheless, there is a broad perspective in Scotland that they have handled the crisis much better than the government in London, and that has boosted the credibility of the SNP and thus of independence. Now, Rishi Sunak, his visit is part of what looks like a, um, a hugely increased government attempt to bolster the reputation of the British government in Scotland. You know, we have Boris Johnson previously, we're seeing more and more ministerial visits, and I think that Rishi Sunak is going to be at the absolute centre of this, because A, as you say, he is incredibly popular, whether he remains that way once he stops handing out loads of free money, we'll see, but he is at the moment incredibly popular, but two, because the absolute centre of the economic case for the union rests on the power of the Treasury, and I think he's very well positioned to make that argument. And I think as well, the government recognises that there's a certain amount of propaganda coming out of the SNP in Scotland, because there are plenty of (laughs) things going wrong for Nicola Sturgeon, including the fact that care home deaths in Scotland are far worse than they were uh, in England. She gets a lot of praise from the SNP support that she has, but not from people who don't support independence, who are still, in my view, in the majority, regardless of what the polls say. She's also got this investigation going on currently, uh, which the SNP and the government are apparently withholding documents from from a committee which is investigating what she knew about Alex Salmon and when she knew it. So there's plenty going on there which is not positive for her. 
No, absolutely. I think one of the most frustrating things for pro-UK people is the way that the, that the SNP has managed to get away with so much stuff. Yeah. You know, you can, you, you can question whether or not it's just the fact that Scotland is a small country with a relatively sort of tight-knit governing class. But, you know, the, the, the SNP, all, all, the, all of these scandals that have been going on for years and they haven't really been picked up on. I think one of the things that people are really hoping is, I don't know if you've seen this latest furore over this exam result. Yes. With children, with, 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 with school leavers, even academically very bright school leavers from, from disadvantaged areas being marked down because of the postcode they live in. Yeah. This has sparked absolute fury. And I think that there's hope amongst pro-UK people that this this is finally the story that makes the Scottish media start holding the SNP to account, make, holding them to account for care home deaths, holding yeah. them to account for their poor record on school performance. It's past time somebody started doing it, and you know, better late than never. No, but there is definitely a sense that much of the media in Scotland is very much in the thrall of the uh, First Minister. Much of what the First Minister does is done in a very kind of presidential style. She's getting quite a lot of criticism at the moment for that outside of Scotland, because she doesn't really like to see too much scrutiny is what we're being told, that she operates without a sort of a cabinet briefing, without any sort of um, uh, really reliance upon anyone but her own uh, very, very close advisors. She does the media briefings mostly herself. You know, there's a lot of kind of what you might call personality-led political positions being taken. The, 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 the level of centralisation operated in Scotland under the SNP really is extraordinary. I mean, since they took office first as a minority government in 2007, they have accrued massive power to Hollywood, um, you know, by uh, they've they've undermined Scottish local government. They've they've reduced the autonomy of councils and all of that. They've 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 exerted huge political pressure on sort of the the third sector and independence of public life. Um, suborning lots of that. And then within the party, until relatively recently, they've had this really quite alien to the British tradition, phalanx-like internal discipline, no internal criticism. Mm. And then in, on top of that, they've got this tradition of the all-powerful leader. It really is a really odd way of doing things. And, you know, it works for as long as you can keep it going. But I think what we're seeing now is that it's finally starting to crack. The Alex Salmond is on the warpath. Nicola Sturgeon, it turns out, had a meeting with him. She didn't declare to MSPs. Her government today has refused to release documents to the inquiry, which I think is going to play very badly. This kind of command and control thing, it only lasts for as long as you can stay strong. And the moment you start stumbling, uh, the wheels start coming off. And I think that's what we're starting to see now. Well, interesting that you say that because my next question to you was going to be about the whole uh, population of London and the repopulation of office spaces in London because London's still very much a ghost town as far as uh, we can see. Boris Johnson urged lots of people to go back to work on Monday. They completely ignored him. Um, a survey out yesterday has Britain as the least ready to go back to work compared to every single other country in Europe where many more people have gone back. Um, what's going on and how can they fix that? Well, the British government invested an awful lot of money in making people very scared of coronavirus uh, at the beginning of lockdown in order to make sure that everybody obeyed it. And they did that very well. And the problem is that now it's kind of hard to row back from that, especially since a lot of the people in senior positions, you know, the ones who end up making the decisions, they're probably quite well equipped to work from home. You know, they, they, they're avoiding their commute. They're, they're getting more time with their families. They probably have, you know, a larger home or a garden. The, the workers who are really, I think, disadvantaged by a, a shift towards working from home are younger workers, especially in big cities like London, who, you know, maybe don't have access to outdoor space. They're living in a small apartment. You know, they're having to work in their bedroom. They're missing out on opportunities to network, to impress the boss, to socialise, all the stuff that young people get out of the office. But those aren't the people making the decision. So I think the government's actually in a really tricky position. And, it, and you know, if it, if it really is 
determined to get people back into work, it may have to consider, you know, some effort to try and compel companies to do it. I don't know how it would do that. But for the moment, if people are managing to make working from home work and they're worried about a second coronavirus wave and all the rest of it, um, you can see why they're staying at home. Well, you can, because what they're hearing from the government is, one, go back to work, but two, uh, make sure you comply with all of our safety precautions because it's dangerous. So clearly there is a mixed signal going out there. And clearly, if you don't have to do it and you don't have to commute, and I'm hearing this from lots of people on uh, social media who said, because I, I put out a tweet yesterday of a, a completely sort of more or less abandoned tube station, nobody, one person standing on a platform at rush hour. And I just said, you know, for heaven's sake, people get back to work. And they're all like, why should we? We love working from home. We, ha- we don't have to commute. We saved ourselves two to three hours a day. Uh, we don't have to squash ourselves into a crowded tube train. We don't have to go into an office. We don't have to spend money uh, buying lunch. You know, all of the things that, that, that are, uh, if you don't like them, a, a problem, uh, you don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, and I think, you know, for companies as well, you can see how there might be a long-term advantage in being able to, you know, cut their office. You know, central London offices are very expensive. Um, you can see how they could cut an awful lot of overheads if they could shift more things towards working from home. So I think this is I, the real problem for me is that working from a big shift towards working from home works toward, works for people at the top. It works for people who've already got the house and garden, who've already got yeah. the network, who've, who, or who, who own the company. It doesn't work for the people at the bottom. It doesn't work for young people. It doesn't work for sort of new workers. And I think that that's a re- you know this, this government already and the Conservative Party already have a big problem in the people under 35 feel alienated from their agenda. They don't think they're offering them anything. And I think if this government oversees a big shift towards people being cooped up in tiny apartments working from home, that's only going to get worse. And it also is not helping all of the people that are sort of who depend upon people coming into work uh, for their own work. For example, people that work in restaurants, in cafes, hospitality, businesses, sandwich shops, you know, all of the kind of ancillary workers, if you like, uh, who are only able to make money if people are coming into town. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons the government is being so bold with its new planning proposals, right? Because there is a real, there is a real risk that if we end up with this, we, if we're not getting a vaccine for two, three years, that some of the big office districts in our cities go the way of the high street. They yeah. just represent a pattern of economic life that no longer exists. Mm. And then you've got the question of, do you let these places become ghost towns with all of the little shops shutting as well? Or do you let them convert to housing and then support a different range of, you know, little local shops in the na- and neighbourhoods? And I think that that's something the government is right to be absolutely on top of. Yeah, absolutely right. Henry, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Henry Hill, Assistant Editor at Conservative Home, uh, with some bad news, really, uh, for the government, particularly on the migrant front, which we have been doing as a story for over a week now, uh, which everybody else is finally catching up on. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's been quite a week here, culminating in the hottest day of the year, culminating in, uh, finally, uh, the story that we've been talking about since last Friday uh, and last Thursday, in fact, uh, hitting the front pages, hitting the the news bulletins of all of the stations, uh, people sending camera crews down to record all these uh, migrants arriving. It looks like over 100 have arrived simply uh, this morning alone. Uh, It looks as though more than 3,000 people have come here uh, this year alone and it looks like more people will be coming uh, between now and the end of the year because clearly there's something going on because Brexit is happening on December the 31st and clearly more people uh, than ever want to get into this country before that happens. Let's talk now uh, to Benjamin Lochnane who is of course from Migration Watch UK. We spoke last week Benjamin, very good morning to you. Um, It's good to see that everybody else is finally picking up on the story. 
Oh, you know, well, finally, after how long? I mean, I'm, I'm now seeing journalists actually covering the story. Yeah. After, you know, what is it, months and months and months of people coming in at the highest rates ever. And during lockdown as well, you know, while... Um, you know, while people, British people have been asked to stay at home, cancel their holidays, close their businesses, some of which will never be reopened, miss weddings, funerals, other yeah. important occasions of loved ones, uh, thousands of people, I think 3,700 people since lockdown began, coming into the country, no quarantine, no checks, put up in four-star hotels, you know, and meanwhile, if you return from Spain, you're treated like a prisoner and thrown into quarantine. Right. Well, I mean, that's going to be the case by the, by, by the looks of it, if, if, if you come from France, by any legal means, uh, because it looks yeah, like well, France if, is going to be put on that list as well. If you want to come from France and you don't want to be quarantined, jump in a boat, yeah. you know, because you can... You I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? It really is yeah. ironic. It, it, well, it's ironic and it's moronic. It's, mm. um, it, it, it's totally bonkers that we have this situation. Uh, you know, and also, if you don't want to pay for your hotel in the UK when you're coming from France, you know, jump in a boat. Yeah. Because currently, the legal systems in the place in this country, a lot of which come from you know, our, our membership of the EU, but mm. a lot of the you know, Blair era policies that have been brought in, all sorts of things, basically have us in a bound. We, we can't do anything sensible. Mm. All we can do is go by the regulations, which mean that we have to pay through the nose, the taxpayer pays through the nose to put people up in four-star hotels, pay their phone bills, and, you know, they get free dental care, which even British nationals who pay their taxes don't get. Um, you know, and, and there's nothing we can do about it. We have to start repealing these laws. And when can that happen? Because there seems to be a kind of bit of a logjam. There's now a select committee going on uh, and under the auspices of Stella Creasy, who wants to find out what's going on out there uh, in terms of how this came about. And also, I'd still like the questions asked to Serco. Serco, who are still kind of avoiding our questions. We've been asking them questions every single day. You know, they remain relatively kind of secretive about what it is that they're doing. Um, and they talk about two different forms of, of, um, of kind of keeping people sheltered, if you like. And it seems to me they've got two operations going one is the hotels that they put them up in and the other is the actual uh, residential accommodation that they find which they say they're housing 20,000 migrants in at the moment yeah i mean i've i've been as hard on the circle as you have um but in their defense they are just filling a gap in the market which has been created by the government by weak leadership and terrible policies uh, there'd be no contracts for housing legal migrants in four-star hotels if the government didn't have the policies right. which mean that that is a necessity right. and if we were to shut down circo and Mears and Clearsprings and all the other companies are doing this. It just forms a vacuum into which new companies will come. It's you know a market for. Oh, of course, absolutely, and I, and I totally, I totally get that. But it seems to me that companies like Circo exist purely and simply to operate government contracts. I mean, they're also operating the track and trace scheme at the moment, which isn't working terribly well. You know, as we said the other day, they're also operating uh, the uh, uh, the prisoner transport contract. They're also operating the prisoner um, electronic ankle bracelet contract. You know, just the list goes on and on. Well, absolutely. I, I believe you had um, Chapman from the CCA the other day who said that, you know, if it's a private company which is only dealing in government contracts, mm. it's not really a private company. Well, no. You know, you know, there's nothing wrong with the government outsourcing to private companies who are efficient and well-run and all the rest of it. But if all they're doing is government contracts, they are effectively an arm of the government. Yeah. Exactly right. And that's what worries me, that there are so many people making so much money out of this business, because that's what it is, let's face it, this business of bringing migrants over the channel into this country is a business, and people are making a fortune. Well, uh, you know, and it's not just Circo and Mears, it's also the human traffickers um, charging 5000 a pop. And, I mean, what we had 235 yesterday alone, 
that yeah. over a million pounds they made yesterday. Yeah. Off of, and off I mean, the Guardian version of this story today has basically said that refugees are being uh, are, are, are telling people that they're having increasing brutal tactics used against them. Right. So effectively, they're more or less being sort of forced into these boats. Um, they're being corralled by these um, the sort of gangsters and gang masters into coming here because they're going to end up working for them in the black market, in the sort of slave trade and there's all sorts of other prostitution rings and, and all the rest of it. So it's actually an enterprise which we as humanitarians are keeping going despite the fact that it's a criminal enterprise. Yeah, they don't stop making money when people get on the boat so no. when they're in this country and they are here illegally and they can't work legally. They end up in low-paid, slave-like conditions working in, you know, car washes and prostitution and various other criminal enterprises right. uh, where, they're, where they're being horrifically underpaid uh you know there's absolutely no protections you know for them because they're not here legally mm. they're you know beyond you know, under the radar as it were um and 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 this is you know a huge scandal the fact that in britain today we have a, a class of people who are effectively being used as slaves mm. you know not being paid properly sometimes uh, crowded into houses uh you know terrible living conditions terrible working conditions and we can't properly deal with it because we don't even know they're in the country. Yeah, that's an extraordinary thing. But, I mean, we've also seen um, over uh, the course of the last few days different bits of footage. We've seen footage of some of the migrants throwing their IDs into the sea so that when they get here, nobody can tell who they are, where they're from. But presumably somebody must be finding out who they are and where they're from, even if it's Serco. They won't tell us, but they must know something about them, surely? Well, yes, I mean, a lot of people have been going down to these hotels and down to the ports talking to the migrant mm. actually speaking to them and saying who are you where, where are you from and they're going oh we're from iraq we're yeah. from here there and all, all over the place so actually the they're the ones who are actually a lot of the time when they're asked more open about it but if you go and you do go to a hotel and you say hello can i speak to the manager who exactly is in the hotel mm. they'll stonewall you they won't tell you anything they're giving you no information whatsoever as far as I'm concerned, we have a right to know. Yeah. We're paying our taxes. We are, you know, putting these people up in hotels. This is, you know, we, we elected the government in order to protect the people, the citizens of right. this country. And if they're not doing that properly, then they have to answer questions. Yes, of course. And they have to justify their actions and they have to justify the spending. And if they're talking billions of pounds of public money, which is inevitably our money, uh, then I think we have an absolute right to know. Well, absolutely. And I think it's time the government gets get back to its first principles. You know, they're elected by us to represent us. They're not elected to represent, you know, the people coming over in boats, the human traffickers right. or, or the big money businesses which are exploiting this total scandal. And, you know, if you've got British nationals who are homeless and sleeping rough, you know, some of which are ex-servicemen, you know, uh, ex-forces, sleeping rough on the streets while illegal migrants are coming over and immediately being put up in four-star hotels, then something has gone seriously wrong. Yeah. And Pretty Patel on the front page of the Daily Mail to, to this morning talking about bringing the Royal Navy in to patrol the Channel. What actually, realistically, though, could the Royal Navy actually do? Oh, well, it's all bluster and bluff. They're basically saying, oh, you know, send in the Navy because they think it makes a good headline. It looks good for PR. It looks like they're doing something. All, all the Navy will do is they'll go in, they'll pick up the migrants in the same way that the border force are at the moment, mm. but with a slightly bigger boat. Yes. And they'll do the exact same thing. They'll bring them in, they'll put them up in hotels, but it makes a nice headline, doesn't it, to say bring in the Navy? Yeah, it but does. If I mean, do if, anything, then... it, well, it would make a nice headline if we actually had a Navy to bring in. I'm not sure we've got any boats uh, currently available, to be honest, to patrol anything. Well, no, exactly. Um, you know, and, and, and our total decline, uh, you know, not, not only in the Navy, militarily, but as, as a force, 
which is able to secure its borders is is shocking. And we've seen this um, in Dover as well. Mm. In 2015, at the start of the migrant crisis, we closed Dover detention facility, which had previously been where we would take all of the migrants while we were processing their asylum claims. So 2015, start of migrant crisis, we closed the facility. That that seems totally bonkers. What are we doing? We're, we're, we're throwing down mm. all of the things, all of the walls, all of the, all of the things which secure our borders. We're seemingly getting rid of rather than putting back up and mm. I, to me i think we're moving in the wrong direction we've got you know we, we, we're facilitating this industry multi-million pound industry which is um a total scandal do you think boris johnson is underestimating how the public are going to react to this I, I i have no idea really what he thinks about this it's it's very difficult because in 2019 he said if you come illegally we will send you back yes well they haven't sent anyone back since the lockdown and I think less than 200 since he was um, prime minister have been sent back. Of the thousands and thousands who have come in since he's been prime minister, very, very few have been sent back. Right. So, um, you know, it's, I think a lot of the time, unfortunately, with Boris, is um, it, it's all talk. Well, that's the trouble. And I think the Conservatives have to be very, very careful. Benjamin, thanks very much indeed. Benjamin Lochnane there from Migration Watch UK. I think the Tories uh, are in danger of taking the vote for granted. I mean, yes, they've got a very big majority, 79, and not 80 anymore, because one of the uh, Tories has had the whip removed from them. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, you have a, a, a vote and you have the support of the public because you do the things that you said you were going to do. The idea of voting for the Tory party and for Boris Johnson was to get out of the European Union, to get Brexit done, and that has happened. But equally, there were other promises made, and I'm not going to sit here and lambast the Tories for not doing what they should be doing. But I will be saying to them, you need to be doing what you promised. It's as simple as that. Boris Johnson last year was quoted as saying, if you come here illegally, you will be sent back. Now, there's no point saying that if it doesn't mean anything. There's no point in Pretty Patel saying we're going to send in the Navy if it doesn't mean anything. People are not stupid. People have had enough and people want action. They want something done and they want it done now. Not next week, not next month, not at the end of December. Now, get on with it. This is Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Mid morning. 
with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is the hottest day of the year, ladies and gentlemen. If you're driving about, uh, be very careful because, of course, uh, the air conditioning is all very well. But if it breaks down, uh, imagine just how hot you're going to be uh, in a car without any air conditioning. And if you're heading to the coast, if you're heading to uh, some beach somewhere, we'd love to hear from you. We're going to be talking about the traffic later on. We're going to be talking about uh, how to deal with everything in the heat because don't assume that it's everything is exactly the same except it's just a little bit hotter, OK? And we're going to be doing a little experiment later on uh, on the terrace here at News UK. Uh, we're going to be frying an egg uh, just to see how hot it is out there. Uh, we're told it's going to get up to 37, maybe 38 degrees. I'm having a party later on uh, and I'm already telling people just to come in shorts. Don't even worry about it. Don't wear long trousers if you don't want to. Shorts will be just fine. There will be no dress code. You will not be refused entry. It'll be OK. We are now, though, going to speak to Dr Neil Stanley, who's our favourite sleep expert, because a lot of people already complaining that last night was pretty hot uh, and tonight might get even hotter. So you've got to be really, really, really careful uh, to make sure you get enough sleep. And Neil, uh, hopefully, is going to give us a few tips on what precisely to do in that situation. Neil, a very good uh, uh, evening to you. Good, very good afternoon to you. Very good morning to you, even. Good morning. I, I, the trouble is, right, I've got all sorts of things going on today because it's uh, it's not quite my birthday, but there's a birthday celebration going later on. Uh, that's this evening. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to be doing some other things. Um, people are travelling in from all sorts of points, north, south, east and west. Um, it's tough sleeping at the moment without air conditioning, and most people don't have that. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. And because we never get that hot for that long in the UK, air conditioning has never really been a thing that we do. And so when we do get spikes like this, it just means that it's going to be difficult for us to sleep because essentially in order to get a good night's sleep, you have to lose one degree of body temperature. And usually that's relatively easy because the bedroom is cool and you lose that temperature out of your head and face. When it's really hot in the bedroom, we find it impossible to actually lose that heat and therefore our sleep will be more restless and more easily disturbed and we'll sweat and get uncomfortable. And, and that's the real problem It's simply we should be sleeping in much cooler conditions. That's what we're designed to do. Yes. And can you sort of create cooler conditions by any other means, as opposed to just if you don't have air conditioning? I mean, I lived in America for a long time in New York and you had air conditioning in the summer. And of course, that was great because you didn't feel as if you were in a hot country. And the same when you go on holiday, you've usually got air conditioning in a hotel room. But if you haven't got air conditioning, can you recreate the coolness some other way there are a couple of ways one is of course keep for your bedroom if it faces the sun is to keep the curtains closed yeah. uh, during the day uh, try and get um, a, a cross flow of air somehow whether that's by judicious opening of windows or if you can get a, a relatively silent uh, fan that can just blow air across because one that will uh, evaporate sweat uh, because if sweat stays on the skin that actually shuts down your body's uh, ability to lose heat so you mm. actually need to lose that so wearing cotton fabrics so that wicks away the moisture and then having some airflow that, that then evaporates that means that you'll be able to lose as much heat as possible having a warm shower before bed although that seems counterintuitive may actually help because that heats the periphery and so the body thinks that's great mm. i can it's safe for me to lose heat because um I, 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 you know, my, my body is actually warm. So although it may seem the worst thing to do and you might be tempted to have a cold shower, if you have a cold shower, your periphery gets cold and the body goes, oh, my God, there's a threat. I mm. need to produce more heat. 
Um, so having a cool bath or a hot bath or warm shower about an hour before bed may help. Drinking cool liquids, of course, there's a problem with that. You might get up to pee and avoiding eating and drinking too much because they're very highly calorific, yes. which will increase the load that you actually have to burn off those calories in a hot place. And that's just going to, again, make that losing the temperature very, very hard. Well, I was going to ask you about drinking and eating, because apart from the others, I say there's a bit of a shindig going on this evening where people will be drinking. Um, what's the effect then, would you say, of, of uh, people who get a little bit, uh, shall we say, a tiddly this evening? How hard will it be for them to get to sleep? Well, as I say, alcohol is incredibly calorific, and, and, and I say that will just be problematic. In itself, alcohol is, um, you know, has always been a way that people have used to fall asleep since we invented it about 9,000 years ago. It's been a great way to fall asleep. So I, I think the thing is moderation is key uh, on, on a day like today because it's not just going to be hot. It's going to be very hot. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's the thing that these, these temperatures you know, appear relatively unprecedented. Certainly, the fact that they're going to potentially go on for a week or so. Yeah, um, I think that's it. I mean, it, it's having that caution that you're going to find it incredibly difficult to burn off calories from food or from alcohol tonight. Uh, over and above the, the, the temperature. Yeah, I mean, I found myself getting very hot at one point last night, and I wondered if it had something to do with the food. I was eat I had some um, uh, some sort of Mexican type food, um, not particularly spicy, but a little bit spicy. Um, you know, sort of tortillas and and chili and stuff like that, um, and cheese, and it was very nice. But at one point, just as I was going to bed, I, I was very very hot. And it almost yeah. felt like I had a fever. And then I sort of started sweating. Um, and then I got a cold flannel and used that on the pillow. And I had sort of cold, um, you know, the, the pillows were a bit colder and a bit wetter. And eventually um, it passed and I was and I sort of got back to normal. Yeah, as I say, usually, you, you know, we don't notice this because it's not that hot. We can burn off the, the, the calories from our meals. Yeah. But talking about birthdays, it was it was actually my birthday yesterday. And so I went out yeah. for... Well done. Uh, a curry uh and you know really enjoyed the meal but right. god I, I suffered last <laughs> night for curry, but because of the heat yes uh, i couldn't just shift it and so i you know i i, I was very restless last night mm. but of course it's one night and I, i'm certainly not a puritan you know if it, you're having a shindig tonight then for god's sakes enjoy it you you this is you know um and you you know, only young once after all yeah, one bad night is not going to hurt you, um, but you know you'll get a good night's sleep tomorrow, hopefully. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think the problem is that, that the unprecedented temperature. So try to keep cool. Try to do things that aren't going to increase your body temperature even more before you go to bed. Um, you know, and I say try and get a draft uh, to to help you cool down. That that's really what you can do. Right. So in terms of food, though, is it wiser to eat sort of? Um generally speaking, what you might regard as, as, as less calorific food or colder food or something? Yeah, I mean, less calorific food. Uh, I mean, we should be eating our, our big meal approximately three to four hours before we go to sleep. Yeah. Like the body some chance to process it. But yes, low, you know, so, so you said about eating Mexican last night, you know, the cheese. Well, cheese is massively, you know, it, it's basically just fat, essentially. Right. I mean, nice, but it's essentially fat. So, yeah, avoiding things that, that are just, let's say, very highly calorific uh, will, will, will help. So, you know, light summer food. This is why, you know, you don't make, you know, big stews and hot pots in the summer. You, you eat more sort of, as you say, salads and, and, and that sort of thing. So, 
it, it's just to say avoiding the calories and you know looking at you know moderating the the alcohol um or you know maybe you know making sure that you also drink a lot of water as mm. well as drinking the alcohol just yes so well i yeah i always do that anyway i've got this from uh, somebody who calls themselves glorious it says do not open windows put a fan on with a bowl of ice in front of it it works well is that is that something you would recommend well it, it can do but you know the the, the you know how, how much ice does anybody have in the house you, you know you're a little a little uh, you know you've probably got enough to fill a pint glass uh, <laughs> you have tonight just going to be a, a very quick way of making you a glass of water yes um I mean, if you're going to do that then don't use ice you if you've got a pack of frozen peas or anything like that you can use that mm. but as you mentioned uh tying um you know, flannels or towels around your wrists and around your neck that have been soaked in cold water can again help yeah. uh, because you're quickly cooling uh, the blood. But uh, yeah, I mean, there are there are various. Uh, various I mean, the, the most stupid one is to put your sheets into the uh, into the freezer. Oh yeah, uh, and then make your bed up because making your bed up just before you go to bed is going to make you feel incredibly hot. <laughs> so uh, and and it's going to make your sheets not cold at all anyway mm. so i mean there's a various silly things that people propose but unfortunately i mean to be to be honest the best thing to do uh, is imagine you're on holiday yeah many of us are you know aching to go away overseas to the hot and lovely climes of the mediterranean or wherever so just pretend this is your holiday yeah absolutely because you can't go anywhere anyway so it's not a bad exactly. idea dr neil stanley thank you very much indeed a sleep expert saying look you know of course drinking uh, and eating a lot and eating a lot of calorific food isn't going to be great for you to try and get to sleep tonight but if you happen to be going out um you know have a drink there's no reason not to especially if it's your birthday you might as well enjoy it there's no point in being a puritan about these things but uh you could have of course all sorts of reasons why uh you want to make sure that you have a colder night's sleep than 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 not um and if you have plenty of ice, then by all means, get a fan and blow the uh, the cold ice uh, air over you and see if that works. But I always find a wet flannel actually works quite well, um, as does uh, the doctor saying there, a warm shower. I've actually tried that before because he said that to me before, and that does work as well. So if you are going to be out and about tonight, uh, just try and behave yourself um, and make sure that you, when you get home, um, if you if before you go out, shut the curtains so that it's much cooler inside uh, than if the sun is shining on it as well. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray. On Talk Radio. But let us talk about heat because Claire Nazir is here, our favourite meteorologist and broadcaster at Channel 5. Claire, very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Are you enjoying the heat today? Well, I'm in northwest Wales where we've seen sea fog all morning. Blimey. The clouds now breaking. Temperature is about 18, 19 degrees, so a good 10, 15 degrees lower than probably what you're experiencing. Okay. You look as if you're on some kind of body of water. <laughs> I am. Um, yes, I'm with my family on a boat. Very nice. Um, I'm, so it's the Lynn Peninsula, which is absolutely beautiful. Mm. The The sea is very warm, actually. I'm just with my family. They're all going to say hello now. There, there they are. They're all there. Give us a wave. Just, they're all waving. There That's we are. right. Very so nice. um, we're just about to go onto the beach and have a bit of a barbecue. And we're just staying away from the beach, so it's going to be quite busy. The sun is now breaking through. And it will be a lovely day here. See, you know, the sea is warm and UV's high. So even though we're not getting that oppressive heat, it's really beautiful here. Yes, it looks wonderful. It looks fantastic. Very holiday-like. And I'm sort yeah. of um, yeah. feeling quite I'm feeling quite sort of jealous, really, because I haven't had a holiday this year and I'm not sure I'm going to get one, to be fair. But um, it's 31 degrees, according to our uh, weather forecasting app here in London. But it feels a lot hotter. 
you know, it, I, I don't, and I was going to ask the question to you of, you know, sometimes, and I don't know why, um, you feel sometimes like, you know, when it says it's 25, it's cooler, but when it says it's 31, it feels more like 38. And it depends on the condition of the air. So at the moment, we've got some high humidity air, which allows the temperature to rise even further. And it's the combination of humidity and air temperature, which makes it feel very uncomfortable. The air's coming in from the near continent where temperatures are around 40 degrees. So we are inheriting that air. It's wafting across from the, at the southeast. And it does feel really hot. And particularly if you're in the city, you've got the added combination of poor air quality. Mm. And in fact, today, ozone levels, that's low level ozone, is very high across some parts of London. So not not pleasant it's better to be along the coastline really yeah i mean i presume all of the sort of big buildings and and glass and everything like that and and the the air conditioning machines pumping out air doesn't help in london either no i mean you get this um any time of the year it's called the urban heat island effect so you get the heat generated from buildings you get there's a lot of concrete which absorbs the sunlight really readily rather than forests and and you know greenery so all of that is reflected back, you know, reflected back into the lower atmosphere. So you really do get that intense heat. Now, when we talk about air temperature, that's the air temperature measured in a Stevenson screen. So it's not in direct sunlight. However, in direct sunlight, the temperature will be higher than what the forecast is because that is the forecast in shadow. Yes, exactly right. And I'm hearing reports from different parts of the country. Uh, Sutton Coalfield, I think, they were telling me there's some some thunderstorms. I suppose when it gets this hot, you always have the risk of that. Yes, you do. And in fact, there are warnings out for thunderstorms over the next 24 hours, an increasing risk through next week. And again, it's the ingredients of high temperature, high humidity and the air being very unstable, which allows parcels of air to rise or rocket into the upper atmosphere really quickly, producing amazing cumulonimbus clouds and thunderstorms. Yes. And as far as this particular heat wave is concerned, I was reading this morning, I think it's coming from the Sahara. So it's kind of coming up, I suppose, through North Africa up into Spain. How long is it going to be hanging around for? It's going to hang around for a few days. In fact, the the reason why we're seeing this hot weather is because of something that happened across the western side of the Atlantic. An ex-hurricane's really buckled the jet stream. And it's the jet stream which normally brings us um, western windy conditions through the year. Now, that air has travelled across to the near continent. It's then moved up from France and Spain, moved towards the UK, and it's been subsiding or falling. And it's the, the extra addition of this dynamic, which means the air is compressed, which adds even more heat to the system. So it's quite complicated. It's not just the air's coming from a particular direction. There's lots of different dynamics in play. And that air will continue to feed in over the next few days. The temperature across the southeast is under now heat wave conditions. That extends into next week and the heat will rise and move further north and west. So even here in West Wales, we'll see some slightly higher temperatures. So, yes, everything to play for. We could even see as a chance, a 10 percent chance, we could see the highest temperature temperature ever recorded in the uk which will be in excess of 38.7 degrees celsius at the moment they're saying 37 yeah and that was only the other week wasn't it when we had the last time it was the hottest uh, ever day yeah that's right so they're coming thick and fast yeah 31st of july we saw a temperature of 37.8 degrees celsius and in fact interestingly enough never since we've been observing and recording the weather over the last hundred years have we seen in a year two days where the temperature has exceeded 37 degrees celsius mm. so lots of records could be broken over the next 24 hours or so okay and you mentioned the uv index i'm looking at my um sort of app here and it says the uv index here in london is six 
Um, what does that actually mean? Is that out of 10? Yes, it's out of 10, but actually it has been locally eight over the last few weeks. So it's high. It does mean you burn very quickly, particularly during the middle part of the day. Now, maximum temperature comes in normally around three or four o'clock. After the sun has eased a little bit, we get a delay in the air temperature. Mm. But maximum solar radiation comes in around midday. So we've just hit that. So, yes, for the next few hours, you will burn very quickly, particularly if you're near the coast. Uh, added reflection from the sea as well as the sand. Light surfaces reflect sunlight. So you get e you're even more vulnerable to UV. OK. Well, listen, Claire, thank you so much for interrupting you. your holiday to talk to us from your boat. I'm sure you'll have a lovely barbecue uh, this afternoon. Uh, what a great place to be. North Wales, it's not quite as hot as here, uh, but it's still possibly going to be part of Britain uh, in the hottest heat wave we've ever had if it gets up to 38. Claire Nazir, of course, meteorologist and broadcaster at Channel 5. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham here at Talk Radio. It is 12.45, it is Friday, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. I see, now I can see you guys in the, in the TV feed, which is great. Looks very good. I see you're all social distancing correctly. Yeah. Making sure you're wearing the right uh, face coverings and all of that. Well, not me, because I'm. Not you, because you're in here. And also, you're far enough away. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. And um, um, <laughs> I was going to say happy birthday, Eve, Eve. And then I was going to say hey, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, some people were doing Christmas toys on the breakfast show this morning. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I thought that was a bit early. To it be is a bit early, I mean, isn't I, it? I don't want to be critical of the production staff of the breakfast show. No, no. Because never, that would be wrong. Never. Um, but uh, I mean, normally they do things after we do them. Um, yes. Normally it's the morning after, reason, isn't it? Yeah. This week uh, they're, they're getting in Christmas in early. Do you think maybe because we did something similar like last Christmas, they're just doing it so far after... <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyway, happy birthday, Eve, Eve. Yes. For, for, for well, no, you know, when it Thank is. you very much indeed. It well, it's my birthday weekend. Let's leave yes. it at that, shall yes, we? Yes, I like that. Yeah. I very much like that. I'm going to so. go home and put some shorts on. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be really hot, it's isn't it? It's going to be 38 degrees. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Hot enough to fry an egg. If you knew how to do Apparently it. Apparently so. Well, if you knew how to do it, you could. I mean, I think she's chosen the wrong surface, it seems to me. She said it's like plastic. I think she needed a little bit of oil or butter. Well, that um, would have helped. Preferably. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, I was I was not in charge of this. very disappointing. Very disappointing. But yeah. hey, it is what it is. It is. Anyway, good afternoon. Thank you. And welcome to Thank the you. Perry Awards. Uh, this is where we look back over the past week of the so-called Independent so Republic of My Gram on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. Yes. And as it's tradition, Mike, the first Perry goes to you. Marvellous. And it is the correction of the week. Thank you. Don't forget, uh, we are live streaming on uh, Face uh, FaceTime. Uh, we are also live streaming on Facebook, I should say. Not FaceTime. No, we don't no. live stream on FaceTime. Well, it's the only thing we don't live stream on, to be fair. We live stream uh, on every other platform. Yes, pretty much. We do call people on FaceTime. FaceTime is used. Yes. Yeah. As a means of production, I guess. Well, you know, I can't get it right all the time. No, of course you're the, not. You're the people, of course that, not. you're the technical people. Listen, it's 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 the reason why this section exists. That's exactly so right. So keep them coming. Exactly. Call it Kenny Asket, Windsor mm. Perry, for the ignored question of the week. Just by the way, just to let you know before mm. I tell you about Heathrow, I've been tested negative for coronaphobia. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so, What's the I'm test? Not a mask. How does that um, work? 
Listen, um, what happened was um, the wife's had a, uh, a granddaughter. Do you think so, he works for Serco, maybe? Yeah, maybe. He just doesn't know how to answer a question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. She's ignoring all yeah. the questions. Serco, by the way, a message for you. We haven't forgotten. Uh, just because you haven't answered the late- latest lot of questions doesn't mean I'm going to leave you alone. Maybe they're celebrating your birthday weekend. Maybe they're sending me a big package of something. Who can say? I shall not comment on no. that. No. Um, early this week, uh, it was Meghan Markle's 39th birthday. Yes. So, you know, happy birthday, Meghan, mm. from all here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Yeah. Uh, so, as a birthday gift, here's uh, Mike's impression of you. Harry. Harry. Have you bought me a present, Harry? Harry. What are those papers in England saying about my birthday? <laughs> I completely forgot I did that. I know. I know. Mm. I was. I took a lot of pleasure in yes. telling you that it was Megan's birthday because you did not know. No. Well, I've unfortunately, it slipped my mind. I know. You well, know. You, what do you mean? There are other things that you worry about. Well, no, well, I just was surprised that they didn't have some kind of special, you know, show on yes. TV. Uh, yeah. You know, because they're so private now. Yeah, maybe that, an interview with Oprah. or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, to, to commemorate birthday. my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well. Well. Uh, happy birthday, Megan. I should send you a card yet or anything. I haven't seen one yet, but I haven't checked the post completely. Yes, yes. So to I'm be fair, coming from it. America as well, it might well arrive tomorrow. Yeah, it so could do. Always time. It could. That's good. Yes. Well, we'll Looking wait for that. To it. Uh, Mike, you win another Perrier, and this is the classic wrong namer of the week. And I'm picking on Serco right now because they happen to be in the eye of the storm. But they're not the only company. You mentioned Capita. Uh, we had Marillion, uh, who were uh, Carillion, rather. <laughs> Marillion's a band, isn't it? <laughs> Marillion. Isn't there a guy called Fish that sings for them? I think he's Scottish, actually. Have we not had this conversation before? We might it? have done. I'm sure there's a guy. I'm sure he rang my show once, I think, because he lived in Fife or somewhere. Yeah. When I was in Scotland, that was. Fish uh, as in show. Fish with a Y or with an no, I? No, no, his name's Fish with an I. He's oh. a singer. I think he's the lead singer that's of his Marine. first name. It's his that's only name, like Madonna. <laughs> fish. I'm pretty sure that's right. I don't know. I think we've had this conversation on air and, 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 and it didn't take us anywhere. No. So, well, a lot of our conversations don't really go anywhere. No, but you know, it's you know, what it we do, isn't it? It's what we do. Well, we're waiting for know. the eggs to get ready. Phil's there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, we're very lucky this week, Mike, because you win yet another parry for the wrong namer of the Fantastic. week. Fantastic. Uh, that the race will go ahead and the election will go ahead there, Stuart. Thank- Scott, sorry, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Scott Lucas, otherwise known as uh, Stuart. Yes. I don't know why I called him that. I think I was reading a message from somebody called Stuart. Mm-hmm. Or maybe looking at Alistair Stuart. That could well be that. That could have been yeah, possible. Because it was for the homeschooling segment. So yes. Maybe you were thinking ahead. It may have been. And, um, and, and you know. Well, do you know, sometimes when you look at a piece of paper and there's something on it and you're speaking, ah. you can sometimes say the thing. Yeah, we'll talk about this to. later. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There, there, there was an incident. Was there? Which we will get to. There was nearly uh, one this morning, which could have been quite embarrassing. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I, I got my not. card from Julia Hartley Brewer. Oh, is it? Is it? Is it? Um, I'll show you Explicit later. material. It is. Oh dear God! Yeah. Anyway, earlier this week mm. we spoke to Greg Smy Rumsby from AstronomyNow.com. Yes. Uh, he's great. We, we love like Greg. Him. Uh, he came on to talk about light years, which is a fascinating subject, mm. and there are so many things that you could have asked him. However, you asked him what we're all really, really dying to know. How do you keep all this information in your head, Greg? Is what <laughs> I would ask you next. And it's extraordinary. It's, it's good laugh that. It's good. Yeah. yeah. But also, very appropriate question. Yes. Goodness gracious me. He I does have an awful lot of knowledge. Uh, he does have a lot of knowledge. He knows everything. He knows about the moon. He knows about the sun. He yeah. knows about the stars. Right. He knows about Mars. Mm-hmm. He's done everything. He has. So, you know. Remarkable. Very, very remarkable. Um, congratulations, Mike. You win the surprise cuff of the week. Thank you. Meanwhile this morning, yet another voice has been heard from. It is Anne Longfield, the Children's Commissioner from England and Wales, who says... <coughs> excuse me. That... <laughs> Do you know... 
you may not know this, but sometimes if you haven't talked for a while, like sometimes I come in in the morning and by the time I get to 11 o'clock, it's fine. Yeah. But at 10 o'clock, sometimes if you haven't practiced yeah. talking, you yeah. can have a little tickle. Yeah. Which is what that was. Maybe you should do like a little bit of a rehearsal in front of the mirror. Well, do you know, when I was first doing radio in Scotland, they told me to sit in the car and, and sing and, you know, mm. do, do like vocal exercises, yes. which you are supposed to do. Yes. Because it makes your voice more prepared. You've never done them in the car with me in the morning. Well, I don't tend we to really. In. I only do that when I'm on my own. I sort of start shouting and singing and things, okay. you know. Well, maybe, maybe you know. I can do it if you week. want. <laughs> we'll we'll be back in the car next week. We haven't been in the car yes. the last two days because they've closed the car park, unfortunately. Yeah. Which is very annoying. Depressing. But do you know what I worry about? Because whenever they do things like that in this country, then it just never opens again. Do you think? It might not ever open again. It might be just that's it for the car park. Well, as in, as in they'll they'll just shut the car. Yeah, park. they'll just seal it up. And go, <laughs> Sorry. You think one day it will turn up and the building will be just gone? It'll be gone. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. There. Oh dear. It does well, happen. I hope not. Mm. Um, off to afternoons now. Ian Collins has taken a week off, and wonderful Asha Stewart, we were talking about earlier, has been sitting in for him. Yeah. However, uh, poor Alistair is so used to doing the breakfast show that the following kept happening. Yes. Uh, Horace Trubridge, uh, who's the General Secretary of the Musicians' Union. Horace, a very good morning to you, but I'm delighted now to be joined by uh, Remy Adekoya, who f- is from Sheffield University. You can University, see where this is going. And is indeed one yeah. of the authors of that report for the Policy Exchange. Um, Remy, uh, a very good morning to you. Yep. Um, morning. No. He then, even said morning. And the guy goes morning back. Apparently it was uh, 13 minutes past 2pm. Well... Listen, it's, hard, it's a hard habit to get out of. It is. It is hard. Um, however, Alistair also wins another pair oh, And good. I'm very aware that he's in the control room now, yeah, so I'm not now. going to make eye contact. Yeah. Uh, You're going to get the same treatment I got a no. minute ago. <laughs> he's getting a pair for the <laughs> smoke detector impression of the week. Okay. Music equals product and must be churned out regularly, says the billion da- billionaire Daniel Eck. Go beep, 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 beep <laughs> yourself. <laughs> That's great. It's great, isn't it? Brilliant. You know? Very good. I missed um, that. I know, it's really good. And I'm going to race through the na- last three because yes. I'm, l- I'm late already. Right. You're only human. You very rarely make mistakes, but when you do, it's you true. put your hand up. Congratulations. Thank you. you win my favourite parry, which is the self-appointed idiot of the week. <laughs> Let's go now, though, to Charles Ray. Um, sorry, not Charles Ray. That's the wrong person. We're going to go to Victoria Hills, Chief Executive of the Royal Town Planning Institute, yeah. uh, because, in fact, we're going to talk about planning rather than planning for the rest of the show, which is what I should have been doing earlier because then I would have known that we were going to talk to Charles Ray in the next yeah. hour. Yeah. But this is what happens when people give me bits of paper that I put in front of me and I just read off them like an idiot. Well, I mean, that is true. I do read off bits of paper that I get put in front of me. It's just that I thought that there was a different time. Yes. You know? I think there were two things that happened here that I gave you a piece of paper that you were not expecting and also yes. it was a different time that you thought it was. That's right. Uh, and anyway. after I'd finished talking to that woman, I wished it was Charles Ray, actually, because oh, well. um, she was quite irritating. Charles Ray actually came on, right. and um, and um, we're not going to play this clip, Mark, because we don't have time, but basically he was like, oh, my God, I was he in a thought, panic. Yeah, he, he was of, in the car, he thought yeah, he was on next. Yeah, he was driving. Um, anyway, the last one, it's the finally, the classic, oops, Mike forgot how to speak again. Mm. Lots coming up in the next hour, of course. Many, avoid, many, bleh. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it feels. That's pretty much how it feels. Well, thank you very much indeed. No, oh, thank you. And that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.